Welcome back to Murder Not Murdering with Autumn and Erin. How's it going? Awesome. How about you? Good. So are you excited that we had our first episode? I am so excited that the first episode is out there for everyone to listen to. I want to quickly thank everybody for listening to our first episode. We were so excited to put it out there and we were really grateful for all of the good feedback that we had. And, um, and I'm so much good feedback. I'm going to be doing a, um, case tonight that was requested by one of our listeners. So that is exciting in itself. And if people do want to send us cases or suggestions or some positive feedback, (laughs) <laughs> yes, please. We'll take, we'll I mean, we're a negative too. We got to learn. How oh, for doing. sure. Like constructive criticism though. None of that. No mean garbage. Say. Yeah. None of that garbage where all it is is negativity and you have nothing to add or give us any kind of feedback to how to improve. Totally. <laughs> like, totally. You suck. Doesn't really cut it. Sorry. Say something good. Yes. And then follow it up with some criticism. Yeah. Start off positive, some criticism approach. Yeah. And then at the end, throw in another positive, like love it or (laughs) keep it up or work, work on it some more. Okay. I mean, (laughs) I mean, I can't help it. You're a mom. Yeah. I just feel like my mom's always like, keep it up. Love it. Great work. So If people do want to reach out to us, there's several ways you can. You can comment on our Instagram page, which is murder, not murdering, or you can DM us on there if you don't want it to be public. You can also send us your cases and emails to info at murder, not murdering.com. And we've gotten a couple emails already about pretty interesting cases that people want us to look into. It's actually been really exciting and kind of fun because I do feel like me, not as much as you, but you definitely know a lot of murders. So if there's something that comes around that you aren't aware of or don't know all the details, it's actually kind of special. Exactly. I just love finding out about all of these cases that people think about. And I like to look into it and see why they're so Mm -hmm. interested in it. Like in your head. Yes. There's some that you just can never forget about and you just always go back to and think about. And it's, I mean, I just love true crime. I know you love murder, (laughs) not murdering. Okay. So we have two cases for you tonight. Autumn's going to start us off and then I will finish us up with something horrific. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Can't wait. (laughs) I'm really selling it tonight. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> if that didn't sell you, I exactly. don't know. What okay. Will. So what have you got for us, Autumn? I'm going to do the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. And I don't know anything about this one. So this one's super interesting. I first heard about it actually on Unsolved Mysteries back in wow. 1999. So back when we first met. Yes. When we would watch Unsolved Mysteries and skip school or hide under our covers with our landline telephones and listen our personal to the episodes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We were, we were bougie. We had our mm-hmm. own personal numbers, yeah. our own personal lines, mostly because we were always on the phone and our family also wanted to use a phone. So they yeah, just we got just us our own line. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm doing the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. And I wanted to also cite that I did a lot of research on this to refresh my memory. I rewatched the Unsolved Mysteries episode that I originally watched back in 1999. And I also listened to a few podcasts 
I listened to Crime Junkies podcasts, which I highly recommend. They are amazing and really worth listening to. And I also watched a special on the ID channel called Disappeared. And they really covered this case pretty thoroughly. So I got a lot of information from that. And of course, trusty Wikipedia. Yes, trusty. So I'm going to do the case of Amy Lynn Bradley. I first heard of her on Unsolved Mysteries back in 1999, back when you and I first became friends. And when we used to call each other on the landline and hide under the covers and watch Unsolved Mysteries because it was too scary to watch alone. But we couldn't take our eyes away. (laughs) No, (laughs) it was intriguing, but we also just needed that extra comfort of someone being on the other line with us while we were being scared. Yeah. Uh, So she went missing on a Caribbean cruise with her family in March of 1998 at the age of 23. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you imagine? She would be 46 years old today. Wow. So in 1998, she was 23 years old. She was a vibrant and fun-loving young woman who had her whole life in front of her and was on a family cruise with her mom, dad, and brother. She had graduated from college and she had a basketball scholarship. So she was super athletic, super active, just really into really whatever life threw at her. She was headfirst into the challenge. And she also was a super strong swimmer. She was a lifeguard, but she was afraid of open water. Same (laughs) Z's, which is totally up your alley because you're, you aren't a song swimmer. You don't really like open water. You don't really like swimming. Mm -mm. No, but I like being on the water, just not in it. Yes. But she, I mean, she loved the water. She just was too, she was super afraid of open water. In fact, she didn't even really want to go on the cruise Mm -hmm. because of that reason, Sharks, but her, yeah, (laughs) but her family convinced her it was going to be fun. It was going to be like the last big hurrah before she was out on her own. Cause she was 23 years old. She had just bought an apartment. Mm -hmm. She had just graduated from college. She was about to be out on her own. And her family was like, this is one last trip as a family before, you know, everyone goes their separate ways, basically. Makes sense. And the ship that they were on was on their way from Aruba to Carousel. And it was only three days into their trip when she went missing. Oh my God. So super, super early on the trip. Well, and it's weird because they're trapped on a boat. So that makes it even more, you know, kind of concerning. And then you're also, I would be, I feel like I was like on a murder mystery trip where I'm just suspecting everyone. Right. Like, that's how I feel too. I mean, also in your head, you're like, what could have, where could this person be? This is if you're on the ocean, then you, you literally, there's only so many places. Right. And I mean, obviously the first thought that comes to mind when anyone goes missing off a cruise ship is they go overboard. Mm -hmm. Right. But investigators do not think that that was the case with her. They truly don't think that she went overboard. Okay. So that, so that's one of the things that they've ruled out, but obviously not completely because she's still missing to this day. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. They've never, they've never found her. So here's what transpired during that time. Okay. So the night that she went missing, her brother and her were out pretty late and they were listening to a band called Blue Orchid. Mm -hmm. In a club. Okay. And the bass player from the club, his name is Alistair Douglas, but he was known by a nickname and his nickname was yellow. Okay. 
I honestly don't know why they called him yellow. I did a lot of research and I couldn't find the reasoning behind that nickname, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it's a kind of, it's a strange nickname, kind of a curious nickname. That's what everyone knew him by. So when I refer to him, I'll call him yellow because that's what everyone called him in all of my research, okay. but sh- he was the bass player in the band and him and Amy were getting kind of friendly, dancing, drinking, having a good time. And a lot of people saw her with him. In fact, there was even a video of her dancing with him that was later found. So they had spent a lot of time together. Yellow was definitely with her the night that they were, that she went missing. And another cruise passenger said that they had seen them go up to the deck together and he came back alone. Hmm. That's suspect. That is suspect. But that was just one, one account. So they're, so they're drinking. Her brothers gets a little bit tired. So he heads back up to their room mm-hmm. around 1 a.m. Okay. And Yellow's story is that he also separated from Amy around 1 a.m. Hmm. Okay. So Amy comes back to the room. Her brother and her meet out on the balcony of the ship in their room and they talk for a couple hours. So they talk for a little bit about their day that they're planning because it's 4 a.m. and he heads to bed. Okay. Amy stays out on the balcony Mm -hmm. and Amy's dad actually sees her. So he has eyes on her around 5.15 a.m. to 5.30 a.m. He sees her out on the balcony and he says she looks really relaxed, like she's sleeping out there. Okay. And he, at that point, comforted knowing that his daughter is back in their room. So he falls back asleep. Okay. Around 6 a.m. He's woke. He wakes up and he doesn't know why. Like he remembers vaguely hearing a noise. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know if it was a door slamming or really anything. He doesn't, he doesn't remember or know or recall why he woke up at 6 Mm a.m. But Amy is no longer on the balcony when he wakes up. So that's like a 30 minute period where he fell back asleep wakes up and now his daughter is not on the balcony. He gets up, checks the kid's room. Her brother's in there sleeping, but Amy is not there. Her shoes are still in the room. And the only thing he can see is missing is Amy, her cigarettes and her lighter. Mm. That's crazy. Like your kid's gone. Her cigarettes are gone. She has her shoes are still there. So where is she? Yeah. Well, and if she was already on the balcony, why wouldn't she just, if she was going to smoke, why wouldn't she just smoke there? That's a good point. You know, why wouldn't she just go back out on the balcony to, to smoke a cigarette? Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to go look for her. I like any dad would. Of course. Like, I I mean, even though at that time, it's only been 30 minutes since you last put eyes on your your daughter. Yeah, but the fact that she's missing from the room at 6 a.m. is weird. Yes. And didn't tell them she was leaving or going anywhere or, a she, note or something. Has she slept yet? Like she was out all night yeah. and she took her cigarettes, but she doesn't have any shoes. Like that's a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes looking for her. And I mean, this is a ship. So how big is this ship? Like how, how certain are you that you're going to find somebody if you go looking for them? But I mean, at 6am, it's probably pretty dead, right? Probably pretty quiet. It's not probably a lot of people around. Yeah. So he goes searching for her, clearly can't find her. Mm-hmm. And he, he finds a security guard and he goes, Hey, can you page my daughter? Yeah. And the ship refused. What? Yeah. They said that she wasn't a minor. She was an adult and that it was too early in the morning to put out a page because it could wake up some of the 
people. And I mean, I get it. I get that. If you're on a cruise on vacation, do you really want to hear somebody being paged over the intercom system at 6 a.m., 7 a.m. in the morning? I mean, that makes sense. It does. And it, and she could have been just like anywhere on the boat. Totally. And at that point, she hadn't been gone for that long mm-hmm. either. Yeah. So is there really something to panic about? Like, not yet. In my brain, I wouldn't be that worried. Yeah. I mean, my brother, we all know, if he went missing for 30 minutes, I would <laughs> I would not be looking for him that fast. <laughs> Sorry, oh, Cameron. Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I wouldn't be looking for you in a 30 minute time frame. Yeah. Maybe a couple hours so later, again. I'd be wondering where you were. <laughs> But 30 minutes, I'm not paging you. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Even though it, I guess a parent's intuition is a lot different yeah. because her dad said that he had a bad feeling. Yeah. Like he just knew something was wrong. Yeah. So he went back to the room. He woke up her mom and her, her mom said that he like woke her up in a panic. He was in a full panic. Where's my daughter? Mm-hmm. And he woke up her brother Her bro- and her brother's like, well, I saw her, you know, a few hours ago, we talked out on the balcony yeah. and we talked about what we were going to do today. And she didn't tell me she was going anywhere else. I think that's important to note because the fact that they talked about plans the next day, you can almost definitely rule out like any type of suicide type thing, like jumping overboard. Totally. And that is also something that the investigators said that they don't believe that she committed suicide and they don't believe that she went overboard. Still- I have no idea where this, where this is going. Right. It's insane. So now it's about seven forty, whatever. And they're begging the ship to put out an announcement, just calling, just calling her name. Her mom was like, please just say her name. I know if she can hear us, she'll come right away. She doesn't want us to worry. Yeah. We'll all just, this will all be over because at that point, the ship had just docked in Curacao. Okay. So more people are up and ready to go off the boat then. At that point, people are going to disembark from the cruise ship Mm -hmm. and they can't find Amy. So if anything is happening, they don't want all these passengers, potential eyewitnesses, people that saw what happened or even a suspect getting off the boat in Curacao. Yeah. And so they're begging the ship, please say her name. Please don't let these passengers disembark. We really need to find our daughter. Yeah. And the cruise ship flat out denies them from having anyone being stopped from going off the ship. I mean, I can kind of understand. I mean, this is a business. Yeah. And they don't want a full mutiny and people have schedules and all of that. that They booked through the cruise and all of that. I understand that. But totally. Plus just the announcement. They're going to be making announcements for the disembarkment anyway. Yes. So they do agree about 10 minutes to eight to put an announcement out asking Amy Lynn Bradley to please meet her family and come to where they are. Yeah. So they make that announcement. Most of the passengers had disembarked at this point. Nobody is coming. Amy is not coming. They're sitting around waiting and waiting and waiting. Nothing. Hmm. Which is so scary and frightening to think about as a parent. Oh, you're looking for your kid. I can't even put myself there. No, you're looking for your kid. You're saying something over the announcement speakers and nothing's, no one is coming. You go in full panic mode. Yes, 100%. And so finally, after that, they, the captain also agrees to do a full search of the ship Mm -hmm. and they claim they found nothing, like absolutely nothing. Okay. And Amy's family is like, okay, now what? Yeah. And 
they're like, well, maybe she got off in Curacao. So the family gets off the ship mm-hmm. and the ship leaves. Without the family? Yes, because the family made the decision oh, to, to stay in Curacao. If she's there. And not get back on the well, ship. Well, because for what they know, she wasn't mm-hmm. on the ship any longer or, or right. there at all. Totally. And then the brother mentions to the dad and mom that before the announcement came over the loudspeaker, the bass player of the band, Yellow, Yellow had came up to him and said, yo, I'm really sorry to hear about your sister. Wait, how did he know that he needed to be sorry about anything? Exactly. And her, that's what her family said. They're like, well, the announcement hadn't been made yet when he was telling our son, I'm sorry to hear about your sister. Hmm. I mean, so then they got a little bit suspicious and found out from like another staff member or something. Right. And that's also a very popular opinion Mm -hmm. that he had heard it from one of the staff members because the family had been going around asking for them to be making an announcement. And if he had been dancing with her, somebody could have easily been like, hey, that girl you were dancing with last night is her parents are looking for her. Right. Do you know where she is? We saw you with her last night. So then- the family also learned that they didn't really search the ship that hard. Mm. And now they're in Curacao and the ship is gone. So they contact the FBI because at this point they want back on the ship to do a full search because they're thinking they didn't search all the rooms. They didn't search the whole area. And so they get the FBI involved and the FBI also does a three-day search of the ocean just to see if there's any kind of indication that maybe she went overboard. Yeah. And this is one of the biggest reasons why they're like, we don't believe she did because the FBI did a search for her and, and nothing came up. So they finally did search the, the ship when the FBI and the family boarded the ship again, and they didn't find anything, nothing, no evidence of her being there at all. You know, so in my mind, I think about like the fact that they let all the people off the boat mm-hmm. what if someone would have like i don't know this is gruesome but like stuffed her in a backpack or who knows what some sort of that's a good theory although i think they do a bag check i mean probably when you're coming back then when you're i don't know actually i don't remember they I did, didn't i did go on a two on a cruise once to alaska but i don't really remember if they checked us before we left the boat i've been on one cruise as well and I was really young yeah. when I went on that cruise, but I don't remember I them mean, checking that's the our thing bags. That I would, well, this was also a long time ago too. That's the thing that I would think about is that maybe someone did something heinous to her and, you know, did that, or maybe someone did get off the boat with her, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Totally. Well, that could have happened because nobody was walk- looking for her yeah. at that time. Yeah. All these people were disembarking. How would they I mean, know they that she wasn't supposed to be like leaving with this? her up on the way out, you know, mm-hmm. you never. Know. And the thing is, is that this is not U.S. soil. These aren't U.S. laws. Yeah. And at the time of, in the area in the Caribbean, there were a lot of sex trafficking. Oh, I didn't even think And people that. being kidnapped for that reason yeah. and put into sex as sex slaves. Yeah, that makes sense. Which too. is which is terrifying, but it was rapid, rampant back then, which is something that a lot of people think could have happened to her because the family said that all of the staff and the waiters were acting very interested in her. Hmm. They were at a 
dinner one night and they got all fancy and dressed up and you know, you've been on a cruise, how they take pictures and then you can buy the pictures like souvenir pictures and whatnot. She was getting her picture taken all the time by all these photographers at the dinners. Mm, And I don't like that when they went to go. Yeah. And when they went to go look for these photographs after she went missing, Mm -hmm. they were nowhere to be found. See, now that does make it feel like maybe they were grooming her. Right. Yeah. That's like a, a huge theory or a possibility. And I, I truly think that that is very suspicious. Yeah. Very suspicious. And so they're looking for her. They haven't found her. The FBI is now involved. Mm -hmm. They can't find anything. And this family has to fly back home without their daughter. That is just heartbreaking. You go on this family vacation thinking it's going to be this great, amazing time. And you lose your daughter without any answers. That's just heartbreaking. Can you even imagine? No, I cannot. So then about a year passes and the FBI gets this phone call from some Canadian tourists in Curacao saying they see somebody that looks just like Amy. What? With two aggressive men looking like she's in distress. Whoa. Walking the beach in Curacao. Okay, so then what happened? So they called the FBI. They had, they told them because she had a lot of identifying tattoos. Mm-hmm. She had, um, which these are good to speak about because if anyone has seen her or whatnot, she has some very specific tattoos. Okay. She has a baby Tasmanian devil spinning a basketball on her shoulder blade. As you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, duh. That's like, <laughs> that's my thing. Tribal sun with a Chinese symbol on her right ankle. Okay. And a green and blue gecko lizard around her navel. Okay. So they definitely. Yeah, those are distinct. Yes. And the and the man said he was 100% certain because he was two feet away from her oh. that this was Amy. So the FBI sends somebody there and the, the woman and the two men are long gone. Yeah. They can't, they can't find them, can't locate them, can't question them. Mm-hmm. But they're, the people, the two Canadian tourists are positive. It was her positive. And then about a year later, a young man in the Navy went to a brothel in Curacao and said a young woman there told him she was Amy Bradley and she needed help. Oh, my God. But I just got heated. Right. But he was like, well, there's a U.S. Navy ship and you can ask them for help. And she's like, you don't understand. I cannot leave. That doesn't that doesn't add up. No, but he didn't she, tell anybody why about she this. just say, take me with you or something. Right. Well, he also didn't tell anybody about it because he was in the Navy and his commanding officers would have punished him for being in a brothel. Oh, but he finally spoke up, obviously, because we know about this situation yeah. and he told the FBI about it. And when they went back to that brothel to question people brothel had been burnt to the ground whoa so there's no evidence it's making of- this this um this whole idea of some type of sex trafficking very very plausible right like she's been sex trafficked for years now at this point for years god and then in 2017 a video of amy that the authorities didn't know existed came to light with her dancing with yellow. Okay. 
the night of her disappearance. Uh-huh. And the video was from these promoters that were videoing the dance, like the club at the time. Mm-hmm. And they said that the police never asked them for the video or even if a video existed. They offered up the video by chance when they found out through a like a news article that this woman was still missing. Yeah. So what was on the video? Just her dancing with yellow? Yeah, just her dancing with yellow. But it made nothing super suspicious. But they did. They were able to have like video evidence that these two were interacting together. But they've never been able to get any kind of information that he's directly involved in what happened. Yeah. But his name keeps coming up over and over. Also interesting that the that they were taking photos of her. Obviously, she's in this like promotional video that they were making. Mm-hmm. It's really, really suspicious to me that those things all existed because they could easily have been part of the sex trafficking and got paid for that. You know, if you were like right. grooming her for it. Right. Which is so insane to me to think that you go on a cruise with your family for this fun vacation and you end up getting sex trafficked. That's just awful. So when was the last time she was seen or spotted? The last time anyone has seen her was in 2005. Okay. And that was with the Navy guy? No, there was the last potential sighting of Amy Mm -hmm. was in 2005 by this lady named Judy. And she said that she saw her in Barbados in a department store restroom. Okay. And she said that there was these men that were yelling at her in the restroom and then left her. And so she went up to her and the lady said her first name was Amy and that she was from Virginia. Mm -hmm. And then the men came back and got her and took her away. God damn it. Right. And so this woman was also able to give the FBI a composite sketch of the men Uh based on her eyewitness account, but nothing's ever come of it. Wow. And then it's just gone cold. It's gone cold. There has been no more sightings of her and they haven't been able to identify what exactly has happened. Wow. That's just really sad and scary. It's so scary, but they have, they have a $250,000 reward. Okay. That will pay if you have information that leads to her being found. And they just want her, their daughter back. Absolutely. And we'll put a a photo of her on our um, Instagram page as well after this uh, recording. Definitely. I mean, her story deserves to be heard and her family deserves answers. They do. That's really sad. I mean, in this situation, Honestly, like if you know anything, you need to be that person. Speak up when you see something, be nosy, ask questions. You just never know what your curiosity could bring to the table. True. If these people on the ship saw something, for instance, with her in yellow or her in a, another crew member or even just a random person, and they were able to provide that information mm-hmm. to the FBI and her family and be able to find her. Yeah. That could bring such peace to these people who have been looking for her for over 20 years at this point. Or even waiting just for closure. Yes. Like whatever had happened to her. Like just some sort of answer. The open-endedness is the worst. And it's it's like, honestly, do you think about the sex trafficking is awful? That I mean to think about is awful. But how long can you be in that kind of situation? Well, until you're not useful. 
Right. And like, what, when's that? Like, when do you age out of something like that? Well, and, and you'll never be out of it. So it makes me think that, you know, like what happens when they're done? Well, you know, I would assume the worst, right. I mean, Which because, is heartbreaking. Because if they let you go, well, they're never going to let you go. I mean, right. Truth. You're and there. You could tell them, you would tell someone about what they were up to. So that would probably be it. Or they'll have you you know, take care of the girls, but how long is that going to happen? You know? Right. That's really like the last known credible sighting of her was in 2005, 2005. And it is now 2021. Yeah. That just makes me think that chances are not good. Yeah. Yeah. It's too sad to think about. It is. But I always, I always think about her. I always wonder if she's been found. And every time I look it up, she hasn't. So I just, I really wanted to get into this story because the more people who know about her, the more people who hear about her, it's the better. Yeah. And again, we'll, we'll put, we're always going to put a little extra about what we had covered that week on our Instagram. So there'll be a photo and information on there as well as information about the um, case that I'm talking about tonight as well, which I'm so excited to hear about. (laughs) It's hard because you're like, I'm excited about this, but it's really horrific. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many twists and turns. It is very, it's, it's uh, fascinating. Yes. And when we get excited about these cases, it's not, it's not that we're excited that somebody was injured or hurt or something bad happened. It's just, it's very interesting to hear the story and what goes to people's minds and what could happen and how to be careful for yourself and your loved ones to just watch out for each other. Yeah. I mean, for me too, I am very fascinated with human behavior. So all of it is interesting in that manner, just trying to figure out how it happened. Who are the people that tried what to makes them solve tick. it, you know, too. Yeah. You know, those definitely, those, it takes a certain kind of person to do that as well. So all of that I find really interesting. Okay. So my case was uh, requested by a dear family friend who had listened to who was um, listened to our first episode and was said you've got to you've got to cover this. It is always fascinated me and baffled me. So um, I'm just going to do a quick uh, disclaimer. So this murder it shocked the community that it was in because of its viciousness and the twists and turns. It's pretty descriptive, so I'm going to warn everyone ahead of time, it may be a trigger for victims of violent crimes or sexual assault survivors. And I think that's important to make sure that if you don't want to hear something like that, we totally understand Mm -hmm. and you can skip through and our feelings will not be hurt. No, just hit that button. It's okay. Um, So I am going to be covering the Lululemon murder and um, I'm just going to jump right into it. So I'm here for this. On March 12th, 2011, Rachel, and I might butcher this name, Ortley, a manager of a Lululemon store in Bethesda, Maryland, arrived at work. She found the door unlocked and the store was in disarray and the lights were still on in the back of the store. I don't think I would go inside just because of how our minds think Mm -hmm. because we're true crime obsessed. I don't think I would go in if the door was unlocked like that. I mean, I think when you first walk up, you're like, Oh, the door's unlocked. That just seems odd because the front of the store didn't, you couldn't see is like how messed up it was. 
So you okay. it was she had to walk inside to see that everything was in disarray. So um so she thought there'd maybe just been a robbery. And then she looked down the hallway and she heard a moaning sound. So she immediately ran out to the front of the store and called 911. On the 911 tape, she said, saying, I'm so scared one of my girls is hurt. Now, at the time next door, there was an Apple store. And the Apple store was doing a huge promotion because the iPad 2 was coming out that day. So there was a huge line of people. And this guy saw her visibly very, very shaken up, very upset, you know, and overheard her talking on the 911 call. She was frantic and panicky and very worried. So he um, he volunteered to go check to see if someone was inside. And, you know, the moaning that she that's pretty brave of him. It is. And, but the moaning she heard, she thought may have been a woman. So if there's a chance someone is alive, you know, let's go and let's go and see. Oh, wait. So she didn't even put eyes on this person. She, she just heard the, heard the moaning. And she was in there. So she was like by herself okay. walking in. She sees the registers are down. Receipts are all over the floor. She sees that there has been clearly like some kind of struggle stuff is knocked over. And then she hears. The- I'd be like, yeet, get out. I'm out. Yeah, and then she heard the moaning <laughs> in the hallway and she's like, I'm the fuck out. No. Yeah, I so- would. I would be too. Peace out bro. No, no, no. (laughs) This bystander, he, um, he says, okay, I'll go in and check just to see if somebody's, if, you know, if somebody's in there and if they need help. So he walks in, he sees all the things that she saw, the registers, the receipts, racks are knocked over. And as he walks down the hallway, he starts to see bloody footprints. Mm -hmm. There was also, um, blood splatter on the wall, um, up to six feet high. Then he sees kind of drag marks through the blood and it's leading down this hallway to this door, this room. So he goes to open the room, but the door won't open because something heavy is up against it. And like a body. Yes. So he forces the door open and he finds a woman uh, face down, covered in blood uh, in a, in a large pool of blood. There's lots of blood. Um, And he touched her shoulder. It was obvious that she was deceased. The woman was a store employee named Gina Murray. She was a supervisor there. Um, But then he heard the moaning coming from the bathroom. uh, And he ran in there, opened the door. And that's where he found um, another employee from the night before, Brittany Norwood. And she's laying on the floor with her hands and feet bound with zip ties. And she had cuts and bruises all over her body and her pants were ripped at her pelvic area. So was she the one that was making the moaning noises? Making the moaning noises. So she was still alive and he was like, she's breathing. So they called, um, they told the 911 operator, we have someone who's alive, but they're injured. So they immediately send an ambulance to come pick her up. So they take her to the hospital and, um, an investigator met her there to get a statement of what happened. So according to Brittany, she and Jana had closed up the night before, but she forgot her wallet. So she called Jana back to let her into the store. The two women realized that they have left the front doors open by the time they were over by the register. So on their way back to lock the doors, two men dressed all in black with ski masks pushed the door open. They punched Jana in the head and they grabbed Brittany and drag her to the bathroom to sexually assault her. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So the, um, but this goes back to you and me always saying, lock your door. Yeah. Lock your door. Even in your a store, it's after hours. 
there's no one supposed to be entering. Lock that door behind Lock you. Lock the door behind you always. So the assailant also forces Brittany to open the cash registers while she could, and during this, she could clearly hear her friend being assaulted in agonizing pain. So that's so it's so awful. So, awful. so then Brittany was left um, unconscious in the bathroom until she was found the following morning. As Brittany retold this to the investigator, she was inconsolable and seemed to be suffering from survivor's guilt. She was blaming herself for needing to go back and get her wallet. Oh, that's Idiot. heartbreaking. That could have been anybody. I mean, I'm forget. I am so yeah. forgetful. I could have been that person that said that it could have happened anybody. to anybody. So the autopsy for Jaina was really shocking. Okay. You ready for this? She had... She had 331 distinct wounds, not including overlapping wounds on her body. 99 of them were sharp force injuries and 232 were blunt force. Over 100 of these, yeah, over 100 of these were on her head and her skull was cracked in eight different places. 100 of them were on her head? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is insanity. And it's 331 distinct wounds. Now- what the other thing that's in, in, interesting about this is she had over a half dozen six <laughs> for for everyone out there um, <laughs> over, over a half done different half dozen different wound patterns indicating that there were wet that's how many weapons were used on her so so she had at least six different items that they did end up finding were weapons that were used on her body so six different items several of them were a hammer a wrench a knife um one of the pegs to use up a a mannequin there were just so many other like small objects that they found that were stabbed into her essentially or used to hit her so but but that is it gets terrifying so the final blow was a knife was taken from the kitchen and it was stabbed into the back of her neck severing her brain stem now it is Something to know is she was alive until that last final blow. So she was she was still alive for 330 wounds. After all of that, she was still alive. And then the last one was the one that severed her brainstem. Now, Jaina, well, the thing is, Jaina was extremely promising. She was pursuing two master's degrees at John Hopkins University. She traveled the world. She was very adventurous. What a badass. And she really loved her job at Lululemon. She felt like Lululemon did things differently. She wrote a paper on them. She, um, and she really loved being there. And she was just like a very active, very, you know, I hate to use the term full of life because of what happened to her, but, you know, someone that was just very vivacious. So... Well, I think that that's awesome that you use that to describe her because the people that took her life Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to take the fact that she was full of it, like everything that she did before that. Yeah. So um, as police investigated, they went and spoke to the store employees over at the Apple store next door because they were there when this happened. So the employees said that they had overheard arguing and loud noises through um, through the wall. And um, you can actually see a video inside the Apple store of the employees walking over to one of the walls and kind of like leaning towards it. And the manager actually goes over and grabs somebody else and is like, you can see it, they're like pantomiming, like, can you hear that? And then they just sort of walk away and go about their business. So see, that's where you and I are different. It's going to get, it's going to get, it's, there's more. 
So they recalled saying that they heard someone scream out, oh God, please help me. No. So they, they thought that they, they thought that like maybe the girls were just arguing or something like that, but then the sound stopped. So they just sort of walked away. See, this is why I say that you need to speak up. You need to be that person. You need to be nosy. Your curiosity yeah. could save someone's life. Like some say something. I think, sometimes too, I think sometimes too, we have this like culture of not my problem, mind your own business kind of a vibe. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, and I think that is changing now a lot more. And, um, I just think, I just don't know why they didn't call 911 because right? that like, just, what harm could that do? If it was just two people arguing and everything was fine at that point and the police showed up, then they, nothing would have happened. Yeah. The, the one that got me is that they, they said that they remember hearing them say, hearing a woman say, Oh God, please help me. I mean, that just, it's heartbreaking. Cause yeah. you wonder like, what if they got there? In yes, time? Cause she was clearly alive until that last blow. Yeah. So her injuries were inflicted though, over 16 minutes. So this whole thing was happening for 16 minutes. So they, they heard them for 16 minutes, for 16 minutes. Now, the other thing is, is that during this time, the attacker, because of how long it was and how many different um, weapons were used, the person had to have walked away and gone and grabbed other things and then gone back to Jaina's body. So they were not prepared when they came to do what they were doing. They just started grabbing yeah, they items they from didn't the- bring any weapons with them, which just seems curious. Yes, that's very weird. So, You're going to come in. So may, we're, hold on. this is just crazy. <laughs> I know. It gets, it's like a lot of twists and turns and it's going to get crazier. So buckle up. I'm here. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so luckily the investigators were, investigators were able to find some video footage of the back alley of the store showing two men dressed all in black walking by, which was what Brittany had said that they were wearing black hoodies and black pants. Um, and they didn't have ski masks on then obviously. Right. A few day, days go by and they're looking for tips on anything. A lot doesn't happen in Bethesda. So this was like a huge, huge deal. And it was so violent and so awful that they were, they just needed to find whoever had done this horrible thing to know that they were out in their community. Right. was very terrifying. So, terrifying. So they ended up finding out who the guys were. They were two restaurant. Yeah. Oh, they wow. were two restaurant workers that lo- worked right around the corner at, um, at a restaurant in both of them had alibis so they were just they said that they walk there every day and then they found video footage they walk by there every day so that wasn't um that wasn't them then they were looking at another suspect named keith lockett and he was a homeless man known to get violent from time to time and frequent in that area the police were able to locate him in a nearby hospital he clearly had been in a fight and blood was all over his clothing he stated that he had gotten into a fight with another homeless man and, the, and so they checked the, his clothing and his shoes and there was um, blood all over them, but it was fresher blood than what they would expect for when Gina and Brittany had their assault. So um, okay. one thing that they did find at the scene was a pair of size 14 footprints all throughout the space. So Brittany had said there was one tall guy and one kind of shorter guy that came in, but she obviously didn't see their faces or skin color. So that made it difficult, but they did find those size 14s, you know, footprints all throughout. 
And I'm going to bring that up again a little bit later because it's an important key fact. So they ruled out that guy, Keith Lockett, because the blood on his clothes was too fresh for it to have been when the original crime was committed. Do they say why he was a suspect to begin with? It's because he was known to be around that area a lot and he was known to get very violent. So they were just looking for someone in that area that ten- that, you know, maybe could have done something like this. Had a motive. Maybe he was there to rob the place. Who knows? Okay. I mean, all of the money was taken and all of, you know, so it was a robbery. And the question is, was it a robbery gone wrong? Had they planned this all along? Had they been watching the girls? You know, it's it all is very strange. Or were the girls just there at the wrong place, wrong time? Exactly. So a specialist comes in to look at the footprints and it's determined that the shoes didn't lead to an exit. So the shoes never left the store. Now the investigators search everywhere and they find the pair of size 14 in the store still on a shelf. What? On a shelf. On a shelf. Mm-hmm. And they had blood on them. So they were able to match the tread and that those were the shoes, you know? So they were super baffled by this, right? So yeah. Called- because why would you Why would you wear your shoes into this store and then take them off and put them on a shelf after you just murdered somebody evidence with footprints everywhere? Yes. You just put, you left your evidence. I mean, or maybe you took them off and you're like, I'm going to walk out of here. So they can't, I don't, I don't know. So they can't follow where, where I went to or anything. I don't know. So clearly they weren't the smartest criminal. Yeah. So the lead investigator calls Brittany and asks if she, um, if they sold shoes at the store, because he'd, he'd clearly not been to a Lululemon before. <laughs> not to say that I wait, do I they sell shoes been. at Lululemon? They do not. So that was know. also an interesting fact. And they said that they don't have that, but they keep a pair of large shoes in the store for women when they're trying on outfits for fittings. So, oh. so those shoes were always in the store and they never leave the store. That seems very, very suspect. Right. Right. Like, why did these criminals come and put on the shoes that are always in the store, take them off after killing this woman and raping the other woman that they found the shoes in the store, put them on first. It's not adding. Yeah. Right. No, that's very suspicious. The lead investigator feels very suspicious of Brittany as, and he suspects that she was the one and only killer. What? And now when he brought this to his team, they were all very unsure, very concerned about accusing a recent sexual assault survivor. And everyone believed, you know, I mean, she was shaking. She was visibly upset. She was exhibiting all the things that you would assume. Also, she's five foot three and 117 pounds. She's not a big girl, right? Right. She would have to have extreme strength. I would believe to be able to stab somebody over 300 times. Exactly. So the next thing is they get the hospital report back from, um, for Brittany and there are no signs of sexual assault. Now, Brittany said that she had been raped 
but there were no signs of any assault. They right, also, and were her pants ripped too? Her pants were ripped, but also they said that her wounds were shallow and very easily could have been self-inflicted. There were teeth marks on the zip ties that were bound to her hands, indicating that she had done it herself and pulled the zip tie tight with her teeth. So she put it Twist, on That's twisted. Now, um, all of the weapons in the shop all of the weapons came from inside the shop. So nothing, no robbers brought anything with them. So at this time, Brittany didn't know she was a suspect, but now she's really on their radar. So she came in, she voluntarily said, I need to come into the police station. So they're like, yeah, come on in. And so she comes into the police station because she said she remembered something she really wanted them to know. Um, she said that before she was bound, the attacker asked her if she knew where Jaina's car was. And because they wanted the car to be moved around the corner so that, you know, they wouldn't immediately be like, oh, well, she's not here. You know, like her car would be around the corner so it wouldn't draw attention. Well, what? Yeah. So so she said that then her and the attacker went and found her Jaina's keys in her purse and her belongings. And she went and moved the car and then came back. And the investigator immediately says, why didn't you just leave and go get help? Why would you come back? And she, right? said that the, she said that the attacker was watching her and that he told her he was going to kill her. But at that point, I'd be like, bye, motherfucker. I'm out. And I was right? like, so also looking far down the road and I was yes. called immediately. So yes. now this is looking really suspicious. I mean, also, though, to be fair, we don't know how we would react in a situation like that. A lot of people are like, why would it done this, this and that? Yeah. But at the time, maybe you wouldn't have. So sometimes you kind of like, I kind of give her the benefit of the doubt right now. Like Mm -hmm. that maybe like, because I honestly, I don't know how I would react. Like if I was that scared, you're in panic. The only thing is Brittany didn't know that the police had already found the car and forensics um, were able to prove that there was blood on the steering wheel in the center console, indicating that Brittany was inside Jaina's car with Jaina's blood on her. So now, yeah, Mm, Brittany. Very suspicious, Brittany. So when asked why- Nobody believes you, Brittany. Nobody (laughs) believes you, Brittany. So none of this is making sense. Now people, now they're like, okay, what's going on here? So at this point, they asked her point blank, did you kill Jaina? And she kind of just changes the subject into more of a question and said, why would I do that? Why would I kill her? I just went through all of this. Why would I do that? So she's not fully denying anything. So then great. (laughs) So then the police get up and they're like, we're going to go on a break. We're going to leave the room. Your brother's going to come in and and chat with you because her brother's the one that brought her to the station that morning. Right. Okay. I was like, where's the brother come in? What is he doing? He brought her, he brought her there because she wanted to go and tell them about the car thing. Okay. So um, her brother comes into the room and he sits down next to her. And of course there's video of all of this. And um, he says to her, like, Brittany, everything that they're saying seems really plausible. Did you do it? Just tell me right now, did you do it? And she says, I just want to go home. And he said, Brittany, I don't think they're going to let you go home. So if we need to get a lawyer, if we need to figure some shit out, you need to tell me right now. And so he presses her and is like, we need to get a lawyer. If you did this, you tell me right now is this something you did? And she replies and says, I just want to go home. I don't want to talk about it here. I mean, she's smart. They're filming her. But if you didn't do it, 
you would be like, no, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. I did. You know, you would be like screaming. Oh, a hundred percent. So it's like my brother said to me, tell me you tell me if you did it. And I was innocent. I would probably punch him. Well, then what happened is the um, the police walked in right then and arrested her because she was she wasn't denying that she did it. And they had enough evidence at that point to arrest her. So now they start investigating Brittany and we're going to get a little into her past now. So she was a very gifted and talented woman who came from Federal Way, Washington. Shut up. Yes. So she, um, she was like a very, like a big time soccer star. She was like excelled very much. She was very good at it. In fact, she went to college for, and she played soccer in college. Now, when she played soccer in college, this is when the first um, talk of her committing theft came about. So she, um, she ended up getting kicked off the team because her teammates caught her stealing. So this is a problem. Next, she, she then worked at a Georgetown Lululemon in Maryland, and she got a job there Then she was accused of stealing and was fired. She then negotiated with them and somehow got transferred to this Lululemon store in Bethesda. There's also a report that I did find that there was a guy that she dated. He was a dentist for several years and he filed a restraining order against her because she was um, caught like kind of, she was stalking him and his new girlfriend. She broke in, she, they claimed that she broke into their house, that she was like outside watching them and things like that. But I only saw it mentioned one place. So I'm not a hundred percent sure about that part of the story. So it's just a theory that's going around. Yeah. So then, so then she's working in the, um, Bethesda store. And I didn't know because I hadn't, I haven't worked retail. I worked restaurants and all of that weighted tables, but I never worked in retail. And yeah, I worked retail. You did. So I guess it's normal for employees to do a bag check at the end of the night on each other's yes. purses and bags. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that because I, I never worked retail, but that's standard. And a lot of places actually make you have a clear bag so that it's easier for them to check and yeah. you can't hide anything like so- stolen merchandise. Yeah. So they said that that was, that was totally standard for the time. So her and Jaina were doing the bag check at the end of the night and Jaina found a pair of yoga pants with the tags still on them in Brittany's bag. So she said like, what are these? You know, what's happening here? Yeah. Like these aren't yours. Exactly. And it's because they saw the tags on them. It made it really suspicious. So she, um, so Brittany says that she had bought them from another employee earlier in the day. And, okay. and so Jana's like, okay. So they, they close up shop. They leave. She get Jana gets out to her car and she calls the other employee and says, Hey, just, just want to know, did you sell those yoga pants to her? And she says, no, flat out. I did not. So Jana then calls her manager and says, Hey, I just caught Brittany stealing. And the manager says, okay, we're going to, we'll deal with it. But then Jaina gets a call from Brittany saying, I forgot my wallet. Can we go back into the store and go get my wallet? So we don't know if Jaina confronted her, but we assume that that might've been the tipping point that Jaina confronted her on her theft. Got it. So she, yeah. So she, at that point, knew that she was caught. Yes. And either, either she knew that she was, she knew she was caught. So she called back because the wallet was never forgotten. That was not a thing that ever happened. Oh, so she just wanted to get Jaina back into alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back in the store. So one expert 
had that was talking about this crime. He said that typically a violent crime with rage has around 50 wounds because most people just run out of steam. Um, but it seemed almost impossible that five foot three, 117 pound Brittany Norwood could fight, you know, and inflict over 331 wounds, then fatally killing Jaina Murray. But the evidence was irrefutable. And at trial, her lawyer didn't deny that she did the crime. He just what? Yeah, he did not deny it. He, he walked up to the bench and he said, she, my client did it. What? And then he repeated five times, she just lost it. She just lost it. Like that's an excuse. Well, that is what he said. And what they were trying to do, though, is prove that she, that it wasn't premeditated. So that oh, she so would it was get just a lesser so- sentence. So they got it. But the only thing is, is that, you know, the the whole altercation took 16 minutes, giving her time to have stopped at any point. And Jaina could have survived. She then chose as Jaina, she was inflicting all of these blows on her to go and get a knife to kill her. She had to go to another room to get the knife that severed her brainstem. Right. And she used multiple different weapons at any given point she could when she yeah when she could have used one weapon and then realized what had happened yes so she made the decision to do it and they deemed it not premeditated okay okay it didn't take the jury very long to convict Brittany norwood of first degree murder it was 21 minutes to be exact and the (laughs) yeah and at sentencing judge greenberg said and this is a quote You're one hell of a liar, ma'am. You will live. You will see another sunrise, another sunset. It may be through a prison window, but there will be Christmases. There will be telephone calls. There will be visits. And the only visits Jana Murray will have are those to her grave. Then he sentenced her to life without parole. Brittany's lawyer said she just lost it, but we never heard an account from Brittany. So she never, she did apologize at the sentencing and said she was sorry. And since then, she has tried several unsuccessful appeals. That this story just blows my mind. Right. And the way that she, and she's appealing it because she said that when she went in to give that other information, her Miranda rights weren't read to her, that she had the choice of getting a lawyer. I'm like, you do know that like, you've seen law and order. Like we all know the Miranda rights, right? You right. know that if you're talking yeah. to the cop, you have a right to an attorney and all that. It's not like you'd be like, Oh, I do. I do get a, a, a I get an attorney if I need it. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like if I say something, yeah. it could be held against me. What do you mean? Like, that's not something you didn't know. She's trying to get a technicality to get her sentence, you know, be able to have a hundred percent. That's really She's what it is. playing. Yeah. She's playing the game. I mean, it's not uncommon for, anyone that has been convicted of a crime to do that to appeal i mean that's norm that's very common but it just it's just kind of funny that that's how she wanted to do it because she had gone in and they were like well we weren't holding her for questioning she came in voluntarily and started talking to us you know yeah she willingly she she asserted herself and when she was arrested obviously she was read her rights so she claims that that time that she was in there while she was making up her story about the car was the time that she didn't get her rights read to her and she's tried to appeal several times and has been denied every time well good i hope so that is a very violent crime it's i was shocked i mean it is so violent and it's almost like you can't even fathom it wow 
Another thing I'm just going to say is again, thanks to every, thank you to everybody for all the kind words that you said about our first show. We, Oh my gosh. It was so, everyone was so kind. Everyone was so kind. And, you know, we love getting suggestions that has been awesome, you know, just to learn new things and learn about different cases that we may not have known the details of or heard of. So again, you can DM us on Instagram at murdernotmurdering.com or send us an email at info at murdernotmurdering.com. Thank you everyone for all of your support. Like we've been saying, I also want to say that Stabby Jim really loved being (laughs) mentioned and (laughs) he wants his own merch. So we might have to make that happen. (laughs) Merch for Stabby Jim. For Stabby Jim and afraid of everything, Kathy. She was really pleased as well. Everyone go out there and get a stabby gym shirt. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? We might end up having some merch. So keep it. And I, I also have to mention that I do have a partner and I don't live alone oh. with my cats. <laughs> <laughs> and he is actually very wonderful and supportive That's and right. helps me with all my technology. You did as only mention we, cats though. <laughs> yes. And as we mentioned we love the suggestions. I did get some suggestions that I sounded like I was on the phone. So he ordered a bunch of equipment to make sure I sounded better this week. That's so I right. just wanted New to Mike. make sure everyone knew he's very supportive. I don't, I'm not afraid of dying. He protects me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a crazy alone cat lady, but I am a crazy cat lady. <laughs> we do support crazy cat ladies, whether you're alone or just with your kitty cat. Yes, we do support crazy cat ladies. We support people who are single. I just had to throw that out there because I think he felt a little left out. <laughs> um, also, I just want to do a quick teaser about our next episode. Yes. Before we sign off. So we are going to be recording in person together, which will be the first time we've done that. Yes. And um, we're going to be recording in person together inside of a bank vault. And there'll be pictures on our Instagram and there'll be lots of <laughs> stories and things about it but we are going to be doing bank centric murders and we'll be talking about them inside of the we'll be recording it inside of a bank vault so we really hope you turn in for that episode it's very exciting we're excited about it and um like i said we'll have pictures of it and you can see what the vault looked like and it's uh it's kind of eerie to think about yeah i'm excited plus just so everyone knows, there is no code to this bank fault door. So we really hope if it doesn't close. We're stuck. Um, <laughs> you may never hear from us again. Well, listen, there's a button on the wall that says, pull this if you need air. So, I mean, we could get some air in there. We'll be all right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Forever stuck in a bank fault. Hmm. Podcasting from inside Forever. Forever. Um, but please do tune in to our next show. Uh, I know this was a heavy episode, but, um, it'll be lighter next week, especially being in a bank vault. It's murder. Come on now. I true. I mean, (laughs) you'll get to hear Autumn and I be totally freaked out inside of a vault. It's fun. Um, (laughs) so please do tune in. Thank you again for listening to us. Jibber jabber on. And, um, we appreciate all of you. This is so fun for us. So we just really really 
We really appreciate all the support, suggestions, feedback, everyone sharing our podcast. That has been amazing. It's everyone been reposting, following us. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been amazing. We're just so thankful for everyone's support and so lucky to have you all. Absolutely. All right. Well, we will see you next Saturday from the vault. Bye, everyone. Bye.